Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Spring 2021 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. This is episode number 20 on self-publishing and I'm joined by Paul Carroll. Welcome, Paul. Hey, Jared. Paul, I suppose, could you just start by telling me a little bit about yourself, how it is that you got into self-publishing? Yes, so I guess the the main bit that I took from self-publishing, because I've been publishing a couple of e-books online before I really consider myself self-published, I got involved in the convention scene in Ireland. So I was, you know, comics and things like that, and someone just encouraged me to put the books I already had written into print. So for me, it was a case of actually putting the books in the customer's hands rather than uh, getting into bookshops or pushing them on Amazon exclusively. Um, and I guess it was just a, a drive to try share more stories. I found it more fulfilling actually handing someone a paper copy of the book than, uh, than to m- maybe hope that somebody's clicking a buy link. <laughs> Uh, and then after that, I got involved in comics, a lot of which uh, requires crowdfunding and actually interacting with people to try to get them to to read something based on the fact that it costs slightly more than they pay for a Marvel or DC comic. <laughs> we might talk about that again later as well on the subject of crowdfunding and so on. Um, so bef- when I asked you about self-publishing, your answer was to talk about print. Yes. And yes. But to be clear, you were already print uh, publishing online, publishing ebooks before that, or you were just maintaining a website. What was that? Uh, I, I had a couple of ebooks, um, which I then converted into the print books later. But it was I, I published them while I was doing my undergrad, and then a bit into my masters. And then once that workload got too much, I wasn't able to focus on it. So it was kind of just they, they sat there for a couple of years, just existing online, um, while I tried to wrap my head around being an adult, I guess, <laughs> and having to deal with much more work than I'd ever had before. Um, so I had to revise my priorities a bit. So it was, it was a, the putting them to print was a way of stepping back into the books myself. Were you, uh, were you publishing the ebooks? Were you using just Kindles or how were you, how were you do that? Could you tell me about that process too? Yeah. So for, for a while I was doing a mix of Kindle and Smashwords. Um, Smashwords was pushing it to, uh, the Apple Store, Kobo, uh, Barnes and Noble, I think as well. Um, so it was it was a mass distribution thing, whereas Kindle was literally just the Amazon site. Um, and then sometimes I would remove them from Smashwords for take advantage of Kindle Select, so less for promos or for people to use Kindle Limited to read the book without paying for it. So it can encourage extra readership, things like that. Uh, some people definitely have way more success just using one or the other than I've had. Um, I guess I'm, even though I, I get anxious at events, I still prefer talking to people about the books face to face. And I, it's, it's easier to to talk about things that aren't related to the books online, which uh, is not great for pushing people to Amazon, but um, it definitely helps to, to at least build a brand of who I am and then people can follow up on that sometimes. To go through, Smashwords is basically a website. Uh, you create a text file, obviously, since we're talking about a book, and you upload that onto the, the website. Uh, presumably, you have to do some other bits and pieces as well. You probably have to design a cover, or do they do that for you? Or is it an option in yours? Uh, I think they have some very 
basic cover templates, but it is encouraged to design your own covers. So you can use all the same materials as you'd use for publishing on Kindle. Um, and even the, the file setup is very similar for both. I actually found that Smashwords went through the same process step-by-step, step, much clearer than Amazon do for formatting a book. Uh, and it's literally a table of contents step. That's the only thing that was different for both of them. Um, so learning to do it on Smashwords taught me how to do it on Kindle later. Because I actually started on Smashwords. I was kind of anti-Amazon for a while because I've worked in a bookshop. <laughs> so Smashwords basically, allow, does Smashwords also upload your book to Amazon or is it everyone but Amazon? I think it's everyone but Amazon. Now, they do allow you to purchase the, the Mobi file, which would allow someone to upload a book from their own computer to a Kindle device and read it as if it was bought on Amazon, but they don't push it directly onto Amazon themselves. Okay. And do, uh, sorry, sorry for getting into the technicalities of ebook publishing, but uh, do Amazon and Smash, do they both take care of things like uh, ISBN codes, that type of thing? They, so Amazon doesn't provide them uh, for ebooks. They they allow you to just they allow you to get them for print so you can get uh, it'll come up as uh, published independently or something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but that'll be listed on a self-published book on Kindle. Um, Smashwords provide uh, ISBNs, which you can also add your own to them. So you have the option of using one you've paid for, but otherwise they have some already on record and they can add them onto the ebook for you. And then you just need to put them into the data at the start of the book. Uh, of the two, which is generally, which tends to be the more profitable, Amazon or Smashwords? I think most in the authors find Amazon more profitable because it's a larger marketplace. But if you're looking to get your book to many different areas and you know that your readers are using different devices, then using a mix of both is a good idea. Um, you just can't do both if you have... Kindle Select chosen for your book. So it's a 90-day period where it's Amazon exclusive. But it's it's optional and you can you can cancel it at any time. So it's it, it, it they make it helpful for indie authors, but it, it's also daunting then for people to try away the pros and cons between the two. Um because if you're starting out, you don't know where your audience is yet. Right. Okay, so tell me about the uh, print process. You moved on to that next. Obviously, that's a different both from an aesthetic point of view, but also a production point of view. How does that work compared to Amazon? When I started, uh, I was using a site called Lulu.com. Um, it was basically one of two print-on-demand options that a lot of people used. It was them or CreateSpace, which no longer exists. And Lulu had the advantage of not automatically pushing your book into an open marketplace. So I was able to managed to stock entirely myself. I basically used them as a, a short run printer rather than having to get hundreds and hundreds of copies of the books. Um, I could limit it to 20 or 30 if I wanted to. Um, I've since moved directly to the Kindle print on demand. So the KDP, um, the publishing service for Amazon now offers print copies of the books. Um, so it's it's a it's another issue of having to reformat a book, and it, there's actually more technical steps to take with it because you need to make sure you keep an eye on headers and basically how each page is going to look. Because if if the text is spilling over incorrectly, it'll make your file look a bit dodgy, and then that 
that'll be printed. So a customer will get that and there's no way of updating it for them. Um, it'll just look like a faulty book. Um, and again, I know you're interested in the technical side of things. Amazon do provide the ISBNs for them as well. Um, so the ISBN can be provided for the book or you can upload your own user phone and add your own barcode to the back of the book as well. But it's, uh, it's definitely a more difficult process, but it, it ends up being worthwhile if you're attending events or if you just like having physical copies of your books or if you know your readers prefer physical copies because the option is there for them on the one page, either to buy the ebook or the paperback. Um, Amazon provides all the software that you have to use. Uh, you mentioned their Kindle print and demand. Yeah, so they, they, they manage all of that, but you need to format the book yourself locally. So um, Microsoft Word or Google Docs, you need to be able to use at least one of them. Um, some people will then other times use publishing platforms, so Microsoft Publishing or InDesign from Adobe. Um, I haven't found them necessary yet because I've been just using entirely text-based files. I think if people start trying to introduce uh, maps or images throughout the book, it might get more complicated. I don't know if the PDF will say that correctly from uh, the general word processors. But um, so far, I just found that all you need is a word processor to manage it and then something to create your covers, uh, unless you're hiring someone to make a cover. <laughs> and what, you're, you're basically, you're uploading for the print book, you're uploading a PDF? Yeah, a PDF uh, in the in the correct term size. So it's it it they have templates and things to download, which I I do use, even though I know how to format everything myself on Word, because at least then I know it's going to be correct when I upload it. Um, so it's a nice little safeguard. And for a PDF, you or sorry, for an ebook, on the other hand, you're you're just uploading a, te a text file. A text or a html file which you can save from word so it's it's the same process of using a word processor to to make it but you just need to save a different file type. does amazon stop you going anywhere anywhere else i mean if i produce an ebook or a print book from amazon can i still use publish in other spaces as well um aside from the isbn so the isbn is assigned to amazon so if you were to produce a print book somewhere else you need to get a separate isbn um, and with ebooks, unless you click the box to say enroll in Kindle Select, you can publish an ebook anywhere else as well because you'll have done all the formatting yourself. You own the rights to it still. Okay, all right. Uh, what are you working on at the moment? What books have you got out at the moment? Oh, at, at the moment, forthcoming, I'm trying to complete the edits for um, a supernatural fantasy book called State of Despair. It was supposed to be due out in November and then. I guess lockdown got to me. Um, so I've pushed it back a bit. Um, so that's uh, it's about a magical detective who ends up in the, the hidden 51st state of the United States called Despair. Um, it's uh, right in the middle of uh, the imaginary crossroads of Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas. And I can't remember the fourth one is because my United States geography is terrible. But there's an almost perfect crossroads between the four states. Uh, there's a town there called Four Corners, apparently. Yeah, for the corners I'll meet. Um, oh, I've, I've made up a town in Missouri called Misery. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the entrance into despair. 
which is actually quite a happy place. It's just what they call it because there's a demon gate there. Uh, I, I was a big fan of Buffy and Supernatural as I was growing up, and now it's, it's showing itself in my writing. <laughs> um, and while I'm editing that, I'm also organizing a comics anthology um, called Turning Roads, which is a collection of Irish folklore mythology stories, but in modern and future Ireland. So it's more sci-fi and urban fantasy, I guess would be term for it, than uh, straight up uh, folklore um, magic. For for my audience, who are mostly journalists and fact-based, in case they haven't already worked it out, obviously you work in genre fiction, uh, science fiction, supernatural and urban fantasy, things like that. But thankfully the process of self-publishing is the same regardless. It's just the end result will look different. <laughs> well, one of the things I've noticed that is that a fair few journalists at some stage in their careers often turn their turn their turn their attention to writing fiction. Uh, usually, it seems to be crime fiction for some reason. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> I think that's uh, because a lot of them will cover the the, the small the, lo- the local crime scene, so they have an idea of how it all works, and you know, say right which you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think no matter what you, what you end up covering as a journalist, most of it at some stage at the beginning of our careers have spent time sitting in the courtrooms. So it's something that everyone's familiar with, and it's a familiar word word. I think if you actually look at, I mean, you walk into East, you you look at the top ten. There's always going to be a crime thriller there. So I suspect there's a commercial motivation as well. Okay, the other question that I would be tempted to ask you, and I know it's a question that writers hate, but coming from a background of writing nonfiction, and I mean, I, I literally write what I know because I write what I hear people say in a courtroom, or in my case, what I hear people say in a tribunal a lot of the time. But when you're writing fiction, where do you get your ideas? Yeah, that is the awful question. Um I guess a lot of it is inspired by what you would have, by the media you consume. So um, I think a lot of my early ideas are inspired by the television and movies that I would see. And then it's a case of trying to force them to be different um, because I, I become quite conscious of copying things. Um, but then as I developed as a writer and just, I guess, m- matured as an adult a bit, I started. Um, keeping a notebook of ideas. So I would literally sit down and write down 10 random ideas as they came to my head. And they could be awful, but I do it every now and then. I'll do it for a full month. Every day I'll write down 10 ideas. So it'll just be, you know, 300 random, mostly terrible ideas notebook. And it just gets the creative gears working in the head again. Um, so it can be a case of I'll read, um, I'll read nonfiction and use that as a prompt for fiction ideas. Um, every January, there's a thing called Storystorm, which is for picture book writers. And I use those posts as prompts for story ideas as well, because they will, they'll encourage people to think in different ways rather than focus on a particular topic or a genre. Um, and I guess it's more just the repetition of it. And it allows for some weird and wonderful ideas to come out. Um, but it's it's often just responding to prompts that other people have created, even if they don't realize they've created them. Um, and sometimes just prank videos on YouTube as well. 
uh, have inspired ideas for horror stories. Um, yeah, it, it's it's sort of just consuming media and then trying to change it before I publish it. <laughs> Uh, Storystorm there that you mentioned that is that a website or is it something that happens on Twitter or uh, so it's it's a monthly event on uh, picture book creators website her name is Tara Lazar uh, it's T-A-R-A-L-A-Z-A-R dot uh, com uh, so every January there's uh, a guest post put up by a different picture book creator I sort of produced ebooks myself. Uh, in one case, I compiled some articles that I'd written from Village uh, into a, a book of essays and uploaded those as a Kindle. Uh, in another case, some books that I had written for some friends and doing all guidebooks and so on, I basically created e-editions. E but it was more, in my case, I was doing it just to get a, a sense of how the process worked than anything else. So. I never followed through on it as much as I suspect you would have. So could you tell me about how do you work the marketing? For the physical books, uh, you do, um, you said you go to uh, conventions and so on. Uh, presumably, presumably the same techniques work a lot of the time for both physical books and e-books. Could, could you talk about, once you've written a, a book, what the marketing process is, how you get your name out there? Yeah, so for me, most of the time I'll focus the release of books around conventions that I know I'm going to, um, particularly Dublin Comic-Con because it's quite large. Um, and then it's the, the one thing that really carries over between ebook publishing and trying to sell a book at an event is knowing an elevator pitch. So it's knowing how to tell people in a single sentence what the book is about without spoiling it on them. Um, it's the one. It's the only thing that really carries over between the two because once you get focused to online sales, unless you have the audience waiting for your book, you're kind of just screaming into the void and hoping someone hears you. Um, I I know some people do pump money into advertising, but it, it gen generally works better when you have like twelve or twenty books, so that if one is successful, people can continue reading on in the others. Um, whereas if you're if you have three or four different books in a series, it pretty much stops after that. You know, so you'd have to have a lot more content online to, to justify the ad revenue. Um, so I, I tend to favor in-person sales simply for the fact that I find it easier to just address people one-to-one -one, uh, as they stop at a table. And it, you can distract them with other things to get their attention first. So like uh, prints of superheroes will be up on the wall beside me. And that will sometimes catch people's attention and then they'll ask about the books, especially if they get stuck in a, in a crowd so they can't move away. Um, people like to be polite and then they get interested, which is, <laughs> it's always a wonderful way to deal with things. Um, but having worked in a bookshop for eight years, that is generally how it seems to work for people anyway. They will, they will stop at a table full of books and then they'll browse them, um, especially if they don't know what they're looking for, which was very often the case when you when you're encouraged to go up and try sell a book to a customer or to see if you can help them, uh, in my experience, a lot of times they would say, oh, no, I'm just browsing. And then they can come up with three or four books. <laughs> Most people don't know what they want until it's in their hand. <laughs> uh, Paul, the way that I first came across you was because you're involved with a writer's group that I joined for a while. Um, 
Could you talk about that process uh, a bit as well, um, particularly for first-time writers or in, in the case of, of journalists, people who are moving into a different kind of writing, writing fiction? How do you go about finding or even setting up a writer's group? Uh, can it be of help? Is it sometimes a hindrance instead? What would, what would, you, what would be your insights from that process? Uh, yeah, so actually the, the whole year of lockdown has actually changed how we look at the group. So it's actually it's probably more useful to you now to, to have asked me that question than to ask me a year ago. Um, so the setting up of the group was, it was the easy part for us because we were piggybacking off the back of a thing called NaNoWriMo. So we already knew some writers who wrote in the same genre as us. Um, and then we just decided to start meeting up outside of the month of November, which is when NaNoWriMo happens. Um, I think other people, generally, if it's an in-person meetup, it's either professional writers who are trying to communicate with people who are already in their area, or it's amateurs looking for people who would write in the same genre as them because it's going to be more helpful. Um, in the case of Cup and Fay, we just started with fantasy writers and then after each NaNoWriMo, more people would join the group because they would get they would, they would like the idea of talking with other writers. Um, we've since found more people online than we have from being able to host NaNoWriMo because everything's been virtual for the last year. Um, so we moved to Discord, so we had an online sphere. So it was it's a way of... Um, I guess it, it allows for people all over the world to form or join writers groups regardless of where, whether they can leave their house. Um, and it is often a case of looking on Twitter or looking on Facebook. If people are using the right, the right keywords in their bios or descriptions for the group profile, it'll show up. Um, and that's, that's certainly been how we've found new members as well as self-publishing our own books. We've had people come up to us after that. Um, so the self-publishing of our anthologies started becoming a hindrance as lockdown was happening um, because we had all these extra pressures. Uh, so we decided this year we're not doing any anthologies for 2021. Um, but then Helen, who, who likes to keep her, the whole group busy, she started a project uh, novel in a year. So now the people who were doing the anthologies have switched to meeting every week to talk about the book that they're working on. So instead of having a publication pressure deadline, now people have a creative experience to keep them going. So it's it, it's a, it, we've we've learned to be a different sort of writing group in the last year because we've been forced to go virtual and the the anthologies would again also be launched at conventions, especially Octacon or Dublin Comic Con. Um, so for us, it was a case of figuring out what people needed um, because every writing group is going to be different. So some people will get more out of our group than they would have out of another because we're more of a, we, we can sometimes just be a support group and a lot of what we do is optional and we show up in particular days to do different things. Um, other writing groups require you to share your work and get feedback to people, which can be too stressful for some people, especially if they're just starting out. But I definitely think the aspect of sharing work is important. We just happen to do it for uh, publication. <laughs> So we had three or four different editors working on everyone's stories to give feedback and sharpen their, their use of language. I hope that in some way answered your question. <laughs> it did. Thank you very much.
Um, well, you have mentioned crowdfunding before, um, which is the, the new thing for publishing. Okay, tell me about crowdfunding. <laughs> so I, I, my, my experience of it is within comics, but I know I've seen lots of people do it with other forms of uh, creative fiction, um, including like a daily, da- daily prompt journal thing um, or, or guide maps. Or It doesn't really work too well for fiction because there's not an awful lot of cost to it. Uh, for prose fiction, but people use it for more expensive projects or for exclusive projects, um, and it, it it's it's partially a way of raising money to fund something, and also as a marketing tool because sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo are huge self-contained units that'll they basically advertise every single ongoing project at the same time, and some people will just back anything that they think looks interesting. Um, so the bundling of different tiers allows for uh, people to spend however much they want to do on something rather than being limited to the recommended retail price that is originally set. Um, so it would, work, it would work the same way as Amazon in that sense, where people can choose digital or physical. They just won't get anything until it's all finished. So oftentimes the project would only just be an idea and then people are paying for it before any work has begun. <laughs> Um, in terms of comics, I assume what's happening is uh, you're producing the, uh, the a script and then uh, an artist or an illustrator is drawing that out. Yeah. And then other times also having to hire a colorist and a letterer, so the person who puts the words in the speech bubbles. Um, people often forget that that's a whole separate person uh, unless someone else on the team knows how to do it. So you can have four or five people working on single comic even if it's only four pages um so it's it's a big collaborative project it's uh it's, it's much more community-based than creating uh prose fiction because you're forced to work with other people so if you have a bad reputation within the community you don't get the work or you can't ask people to work with you um so a lot of it is to do with not even who you know but how people think of you, um, which kind of almost feels like going back to school where you start worrying what people are thinking just by every single word you say online. But uh, it, it becomes an, an interesting collaborative process and you can work with people from all over the world. And in my case, because I have projects at different stages, I could be getting inks back from one person at the same time and getting colors back from another. Um, so you can end up with four or five different projects just landing on your lap at the same time, depending on who you've contacted and how long it's taken them. <laughs> I know a, f- a few years ago there was some talk about using comics as a communication medium in journalism, uh, basically creating illustrated stories. Um, I'm not sure what happened to that at the moment. It disappeared as other things became fashionable. I think podcasting became the new technology everyone wanted to go get into. And then for a while it was... 3D goggles. I think part of it is the cost. They couldn't afford to pay people what their actual rate would be. Whereas podcasts is one person to to speak and maybe two other people to do the the editing. (laughs) Do you have a website or a link that you'd like to promote uh, where people can check out more of your work or even order some of your books? Yeah, so my website is paulcarrollwriter.com. So it's two words and two L's in Carol. 
All right. Thank you, Paul, for talking to me. And take care of yourself. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening and take care of yourself. This has been the Freelance Forum podcast with Jared Cunningham. Forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sectoral Learning and Development Programme.